This morning's Bible reading is Romans 1, verses 18 to 25. In the red book, it's on page 727, and the black Bible's 1036. Uh, If you'd like to get a Bible now, before I start. So Romans 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. Thanks, Louise. Hello, everybody. Very important to have your Bibles open today. We're going to be looking at really chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. It's really all one thought that God uh, wants us to get our heads around. Uh, And so uh, let's try and do that and do it faithfully and do it well. And so let's ask for God's help because we won't do it without his help. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, uh, we do thank you that you're a God who has created and given us everything that we have, who has made us, um, looked after us, and most of all revealed yourself to us. And we just pray now as we open your word as we reflect on your great news to us, uh, Lord, we pray that we would be people who hold on to it and don't twist it, uh, but see uh, how it is that you want us to understand things and relate to things and live based on uh, what you have said. And so, Lord, please help us uh, to believe the bad news as well as the good news. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when we started the Arndell Church plant... Uh, back in uh, 2000, uh, we had a a favourite guest speaker. And uh, this guy, we really enjoyed. We had him regularly. Uh, He was funny. Uh, He uh, was always sharing God's grace. We loved him, enjoyed him. Uh, He was a guy who came out with Billy Graham and never, never went home again. And if you ever get the old Billy Graham books, you know he had a suit and a tie and slick back hair and by the end of it he looked like a hippie and he was quite overweight. And, uh, you know, we did come and we loved hearing him and he would talk about the grace of God. And then uh, after a while, his message changed. It changed from God's grace to suddenly God's not angry at sin anymore. It was a subtle change and people started to say something's wrong with that, but they couldn't work out what was wrong with what he'd said. And what had happened was he had now taken out of grace any view of turning away from sin. 
Sin was just something that was there you didn't have to worry about. And because of that, the message was moved, the message was changed. It was no longer God's message anymore, but his message. As we come to Romans, as we come to listening to God uh, through Paul explain to us his good news and spread it out, what he wants us to understand is that uh, we need to understand the black background we need to understand God's, the background of where the good news becomes good news so that we'll understand very clearly the brightness, the goodness, why it's good news, why it's absolutely unbelievably great news. And the only reason it will be good news is when it's put up against this, back, this bad, black, bad news. And we need them to see it and understand it and they need to go together. So today, in this part of God expanding the gospel through Paul, he wants us to look at and focus on the bad news. He wants us to not change it, not escape from it, not ignore it, not push it to the side, not water it down, not mix it, not change it. No, he wants us to come to terms with the bad news. The bad news is seen in chapter 1, verse 18. What does God want us to know? For the wrath, the anger, wrath is just an old word for anger, the wrath, the anger of God, for God's wrath, anger, is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. God wants us to know that he is angry at our rebellion. He is angry at sin. When you look at people, when you go to the shopping centre, when you look at your family, when you look at your friends, when you look in the room, when you look out, what do you think God thinks about them? Well, God wants us to know first that he is angry at people's sin. If we don't understand this, the gospel will never make sense. It will never be good news. No one will respond because it is the backdrop, the heavy weight, the background that must be understood. God is angry uh, at sin. When people uh, want to say God loves you, they're telling a truth about God. But what happens when we say God loves you and we don't say and God's angry with your sin... What it does is it makes the good news not make sense. It makes it unattractive. It makes it ineffective. It makes it not urgent anymore. It is something you can ignore because God already loves me. So, why? God loves you. Great to hear. See ya. Bye. Go off. See ya. God's angry with you. What do you mean he's angry with me? Don't you find brimstone? You've got it. But that's where it's got to start, you see. That's what people have got to come to terms with. We've got to understand what God thinks about, what he's revealing. He's revealing good news, but he's revealing bad news. The gospel has two sides. And so God is revealing his anger. Why? Well, because he cares and because he wants to lead us to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to come to the gift. And that's why he reveals his anger, so we can know, so that we will, so that we are motivated to, so that we all go to 
and hold on to him and what he has done. What is God angry at? Well, the way the Bible summarises the word sin, sin just means missing the mark. But sin is always best. He said it, S-I. I is I believe what I want to believe. I do what I want to do. I am rebellion to God. I just do what I want to do. I, I, sin is I do what I want, not what God wants, unless I want to. And if I don't, I won't. I'm in rebellion to him. God is angry with that. But if you look at verse 18, he actually expands it for us a bit in this case. He is angry at what? Godlessness and unrighteousness. Do you see those two words in verse 18? Godlessness and unrighteousness. Uh, What's he wanting us to understand? Uh, Well, this is, again, another way of summarising all that the Bible said and bringing it into a focus. In the end, as we follow through the Bible, we follow the way God uses these words and where they come up, like the fool says in his heart there is no God and and what righteousness means. And in Romans, uh, getting used to this word righteous is very important. It's sort of got four meanings that will come out and can be used in different ways. But when these two words are brought forward, this is what they mean. Godlessness is really a violation of the first four of the Ten Commandments. To not love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. That is to not care about him, to not put him first, to not love him above everything else, to not rest in him, to not separate time for him, to not be focused on him. And so to say people are ungodly is to say that they are breaking the first four commandments and they don't love God first and most of all. He has given us everything and yet people don't love him. Unrighteousness is a way of saying unright, of saying not right, and it's a way of summarising the breaking of the next six commandments. To not love your neighbour as yourself. And so when he says they're ungodly, we don't love him. When he says we're unrighteous, we don't love our neighbours ourselves as guided by the Ten Commandments and the way it expands. And so God's angry because we won't love him and we won't love people in the way that he wants us to. And uh, this is the blackness of sin, that God is revealing his anger. He is angry with people. And the more we take away that anger the more people will not respond to him. And so, but now he's going to expand it in chapters 1 to chapters 3, 20. He's going to expand it to make sure we get it by doing four, saying four things. And you'll see them there in your outline. The first one he wants us to know by spreading it out, he's sort of separating it. The first thing he wants us to know is non-Jews are guilty. Any non-Jews in this room? Non-Jews are guilty. So let's read on from verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth, since what can be made about God, known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen since creation of the world, being understood through what has been made. As a result, people are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God 
for immortal God, for images resembling man, mortal man, birds, four-footed animals and reptiles. Why is God angry? Why are non-Jews guilty? Well, here he's telling us, because in our ungodliness and our unrighteousness, we have, or they do, suppress the truth that God has plainly put in creation. Uh, They don't thank him. That is every single thing we have from God, our time, our talents, our treasures, our life, all the things that we have, have been given to us by God to be used in God's will for him. But we don't thank him. We don't glorify him. We don't give him the glory. We don't not only thank him, we don't then lift him up and cheer him and put him first and, and praise him and lift him up and always going, look what he's given. And be, we, we don't do that naturally. We prefer to worship creation rather than the creator. We rather the things that he gives us rather than who he is and what he is. We exchange the truth of God for lies about God. Uh, we exchange the thoughts. We'd rather the God that we make up, than the real God. And so Australians in particular, the God I believe in, and then they describe the God that lets them do whatever they want so they don't have to trust him and obey him and they can break his commandments and not care about the things that he says. And so we exchange the real God for the lie God that we make up so that we can keep doing what we want and pretend to follow him. Um, And we know that the things that we do are wrong, or they know the things that they do are wrong, and they deserve judgment, but not only do we know they're wrong, we actually approve of others who do the same as us because it makes us feel better. Sounds like lots of movies and TV shows and most of the stuff we watch. This is what the world is like, isn't it? And so all of that makes God rightfully angry at us. And so God is angry at non-Jews, and God is angry too, just to separate, with good people. God is angry with good people. Good people are guilty. Verses Chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Just look at the start of it. Therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you really think that anyone of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Now, this is God taking on people who think they're good enough for God. They hear about sin, but they excuse themselves. Um, They know they do some things wrong. Yeah, I'm not perfect, uh, but I'm not that bad and I'm not in trouble with God and I'm not really guilty. God will let me go because I haven't raped and murdered anyone or whatever it is that we think. And so Paul is talking to Jews, but he's talking to Jews who are thinking that they're sort of good. And so it's really him talking to anyone who thinks that, well, really, God's anger at my sin is a bit harsh. It's a bit undeserved. You know, there's good people out there. Good, I'm a good person. There's good people. God shouldn't. He should let them in because they're not that bad. It's this is for people who think they're good and they're not guilty. Um, um, so, so here, God through Paul gives us two little things to think about. The first one he says is, "You're really guilty because even though you you think you're good and you are good in a way, you judge people for doing things you do." And 
You often don't turn away. You excuse the things that you do wrong while not excusing what they do wrong. And this will make you absolutely guilty when you stand before God. Let me try and give an example. Do you think it's wrong to lie? Do you condemn people who tell lies? Do you look down on people who lie? Do you lie? Do you mean to stop? Will you stop? Do you excuse your lies while not excusing other people's lies? Um, You see, what God wants us to know at that level of being good, without getting into all that, that a good person is going to be condemned by their performance and by the very things that they judge as being right, that they will fail. Now, just to be clear... Now, if you've got your Bibles open, look back to chapter 1, verse 26. What the context is, is these things. Have a listen to these things. Uh, Thinking about good people. Chapter 1, verse 26. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual intercourse for what is unnatural. The males in the same way also left natural sexual intercourse with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with other males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their perversion. And because they did not, this is everyone, did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, disputes, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they know full well God's full just sentence that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud even others who practice them. You see, just jumping across, it's, it's, it's saying, you know, how do you go with, how did you go with sex, no sex till you're married? How did you go with between just a man and a woman? How did you go with greed? How did you go with envy? This is good people. How did you go with disputing and fighting with people? How did you go with deceit, lying, we've already looked at? How did you go with malice? How did you go with gossips, girls? How did you go with slander? You ever put someone down and never really knew what their view was? How did you go with arrogance? How did you go with pride? How did you go with boasting? How did you go with disobeying parents? Anyone disobey their parents here? You're good people? <laughs> How you come with unlo- Just you see what God is saying? He's saying, even good people, when you come up against what God said, even though we hold on to it, we're going to be seen that we broke a lot of the things that we would even hold on to in others at our own level, and, and we didn't turn from it, didn't mean to, and we will be condemned by our own performance. So Romans 2, verse 6. He, God, will repay each one according to his works. It won't be good for the good person on judgment day. They won't be able to stand by their good works. They won't be good enough. They will be condemned by it. And so God wants us to know that that non-Jews are guilty, good people are guilty, and then thirdly, he wants us to know Jews are guilty. 
Uh, that is chapter 2, 17 to 38. So just chapter 2, verse 23. You who boast in the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see, what it's now, it's moving on from their goodness or from people who think they're good, and now it's moving on to people who hold on to their religiousness, and particularly the Jews, who are the ones that God was speaking to the world to, and he's now speaking to them, you who have the law, you who have had God reveal himself to you and from you through to the world. Uh, he's going, how are you going to go? How are they going to go when they stand before God? And what he's saying is you will be tempted to trust your history, your religion, your extraordinary position with God as the people of God who would bring the word of God to people. And he's saying you're going to trust in this, but you are going to be condemned by the very thing that you're holding on to. You know, the very many believed in the Jews that because we have the law, therefore it would save them. But what God was concerned about was doing the law, not just having the law. And so here he says, yeah, I know you have the law. How are you going at doing the law? What does doing the law expose about you? And, and, and then he says this very thing that you're trusting in, in trusting in your performance through the law, uh, you know, thinking that you're good, is actually what's going to get you in the end. And said, do you break the law? And of course, the answer to the Bible is you break it heaps, even if you're trying. And what's worse, he says, is you are meant to be attractive to the world. But the world is blaspheming me because of the way you behave. And that's something that can sort of come back and hit us a little bit too as, as New Testament followers, isn't it really? They're supposed to know we're Christians by our love. The way we don't gossip and criticise and condemn and work together and put up with one another and... And, and people are supposed to look at the church as they come in contact with us and go, I want that. What changed them to be like? It, it, that's another, another time. But here, what God wants us to know is that non-Jews are guilty. Good people are guilty. The Jews are guilty. Religious people are guilty. And so lastly, he wants us to come to that last point up there that he wants us all to see. Everyone is guilty. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 9 on, and let's just read and have a listen and have a feel for what God wants us to get into us and understand. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a chain of quotes from Psalms that is trying to help us see that God sees that everyone is guilty. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. No one deserves God's reward and acceptance. Do you believe him? No one is right before God. No one will have a leg to stand on before God. No one is godly. No one has not kicked God off the throne of their lives. 
No one is not tainted by their rebellion. No one has not suppressed the truth. No one has failed not to thank him with their time, talent. No one has failed not to give him the glory deserved. No one has loved God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. No one has loved their neighbours as self. And no one really cares. Non-Jews are guilty. Good people are guilty. Jews are guilty. We are all guilty. We are all under the rightful anger of God. That is our true dilemma and our future if something doesn't change. Okay, just sit there for a second. Don't save yourself from any of that yet. Just hear what God says. When God looks in at humans, he is angry with us, rightfully angry with us, whoever we are. That was a lot of fun, just like Emily said it would be. But we need to believe him, don't we? We need to understand it's not okay. And then a few things will happen. So just if, let me just bullet point some things at us to think about before we share the Lord's Supper, which is a great way to finish. Um, wh- what does God want us to do? Well, he wants us to know how bad it is and to believe him and not get out of it. He wants us to know we're under the rightful anger of God so that we will run to him. He wants us to not trust our own efforts. He doesn't want us to trust our goodness. He wants us to don't look to the law to save us or to being religious. He wants us to see that we need God to do something for us, that we are desperate for God to do something for us. And that's why Jesus is so, so, so good. That's why Jesus looks bright only when we put it against this black, put him and the gospel against this black, back, this black background. Two implications. One is, if people around us, if our family, our friends, our neighbours, our ministry, if, if people aren't responding to Jesus... Could it be that we're not telling them how much trouble they're in? Could it be that we are leaving out of our message that God is angry with sin? Could it be that we've so changed the message that we've said, God's not not angry with you, but he's angry at your sin, but not you. And we've separated them from their sin. You know that little saying? God's angry at sin, not the sinner? I don't think that's the Bible. God is angry at sin and we need to tell people that so that they might be able to see how good Jesus is. The second implication is, if we've changed the gospel to something like, come to Jesus, he'll make your life better, Come to Jesus, he'll make it all fantastic. Come to Jesus and you'll feel better. Come to Jesus and, and you know, you'll just feel so much better. Which is true. It's just not the gospel. Come to Jesus and it'll include persecution and not fitting into the world anymore or fitting into your family anymore is the message. 
And there's a truth in that, but if that's our message, come to Jesus because he makes it better in some sort of psychological way, do you realise that's not the gospel? It's not the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. The message is, come to Jesus who will take the punishment that you deserve for the guilt that you have earned by your sin. He will be, it's good news, he will be your substitute and your representative. Come and get God's anger turned away from you and put onto Jesus so that now you are free to be in a relationship with God. See, maybe no one's getting saved around us because we're not sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? So therefore, check your attitude to sin. Check my attitude to sin. We've got to see sin as the problem for people. We've got to see sin as our problem. And we've got to get into the attitude, the idea of two, of, of he absolutely forgives us, but he's in the job of getting rid of sin in our lives. And so what is God doing in us now that we are forgiven and his anger's turned away? He's helping us turn away from sin. So we don't get into the place where, oh, sin doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. Disobedience doesn't matter. We're into the habit now of he's turning and helping us to do that. And so let's check our attitude to sin. It's the problem. We've got to see that as people's problem, our problem, that sort of idea. And then on the balance, we've got to keep checking our attitude that Jesus is the one who fixes it all. That he is the good news, if that makes sense. Uh, we've got to make sure Jesus is the only solution to getting away God's anger from us so that we can stand before him. And so Jesus has to be that good news in the background of our attitude to sin. So we don't overbalance sin from grace, from mercy, from he forgives us. You know, you've got to, we've got to leave. I'm hoping, now we've done this passage where we've just stayed thinking about the bad news and our guilt. But the next few weeks is all about the good news, isn't it, as we go through Romans. So we've got to make sure that you don't enjoy telling people about their sin so much that you don't enjoy telling them about Jesus. Or you love telling people about Jesus, but you don't like telling about the sin. There's a balance there, isn't there? 